Hi, and welcome to GCs in the House, a podcast spotlighting general counsels. I'm your host, Lena Guo. In my conversations with GCs, we discuss how they got in the top legal seat, obstacles that they had to overcome along the way, and how they are tackling new challenges. Today, I'm chatting with Tom Lynch, general counsel of Billion to One, a precision diagnostics company based in Menlo Park, California. Tom is a seasoned GC who brings over 20 years of experience in the life sciences industry. After graduating with his JD from Boston College Law School, Tom began his legal career at Dorsey and Whitney. After holding senior legal and compliance positions at Boston Scientific and Novartis Pharma, Tom served as general counsel of two publicly traded companies. Tom served as chief compliance officer of Fortive's advanced healthcare solutions business before joining Billion to One. Tom talks to me about how growing up in a healthcare environment led him to a career in the life sciences, his experience navigating through large and small organizations, and how being an adjunct professor has brought him an additional sense of fulfillment. Thanks for joining me. Now to the conversation. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for joining me on my podcast today. Oh, thank you, Lena. It's really my pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always so great to chat with you. Uh, would love to have audience the audience learn about your career journey, uh, given that you have had the general counsel title, the chief compliance officer title, the chief legal officer title. You are a truly seasoned uh, CLO. So to start, can you tell us a little bit about your current company, Billion to One? Um, sure, happy to. And I'll kind of cover a couple different areas. You know, at Billion to One, we're a, we're a precision diagnostic company. Um, we use sort of quantification of biology uh, to create diagnostic tests and we, you know, we test uh, patients at the molecular level. Um, as a mission, we're committed to remove the fear of the unknown with our diagnostic testing, and we focus on fast and accurate and accessible uh, testing. I could talk a little bit about the technology. Um, I'm not a scientist, so, you know, bear with me, but, you know, what we're able to do with our technology is that detect mutations in DNA. Um, and our technology is currently used in two spaces, prenatal uh, testing and liquid biopsy for cancer patients. So how does it work? Um, you know, our cells are shedding DNA fragments into our blood all the time. Uh, so from a blood draw, we can identify, isolate, and analyze these DNA fragments. And again, see if there's any, any mutations um, that could be the cause of some type of disorder. So like in the prenatal space, a woman is pregnant, her blood, in addition to fragments of her own DNA, actually contains fragments of her child's DNA. Um, so our DNA, our technology is from the blood draw able to separate the mother's <clears throat> DNA from the child's, and then you know identify if there's any potential or screen for any disorders from the child's DNA, so we know before the child's uh, born. I think one thing that this technology has been around for several years. What what differentiates billion to one's uh, test is the ability, as I mentioned, to to uh, to different to isolate the child's DNA. You know, so something like a hereditary disorder, 
like cystic fibrosis. Um, the standard right now is you would test the mother to see if she is a carrier and has that uh, meet that um, disorder marked in her gene. Uh, and if she is, then we test the father because then, as you probably remember from biology class in high school or junior high, you sort of do that you know, four section chart to determine if it's the likelihood the baby is going to have that disorder. But with our tests, it's we're able to pull the DNA fragments from uh, the baby um, in the mother's blood. You don't need the father to be tested. So we're actually testing the baby uh, directly for the disorders as opposed to testing both uh, the parents. Um, so that's the biggest differentiator that we have as a test. Um, why is that important? Because it, it's important for accessibility. And as I mentioned, accessibility is important to us at billion to one. Um, and this is an example of how uh, the mother is able to um, get that information without um, having to bother uh, the father. Um, so we devote a lot of resources to accessibility. We want to make sure that the test is available to all patients. We, you know, we talk to payers and health insurance companies. We talk to Medicaid and advocate in that area to make sure that our test is covered. Because again, it's important to us to be, to, for healthcare to be equitable. And so we want to make sure that we can make the test affordable for all. I think the last piece, you know, I would be remiss to talk about the company and just focus on the technology. Um, I think our culture is a significant differentiator at Billion to One, and it's certainly why I, I joined or one of the reasons I joined, you know, and we're very planful and intentional about this. Um, Ozan and David are our two founders. They still work with the company as the CEO and the CTO. Um, and they were committed when they founded the company to make a company that is good in and of itself, regardless of the technology. Um, so we hire talented, motivated people. We strive to create a high performance culture. You know, everybody is committed to learn from everybody else, regardless of your background. Everyone is empowered to lead and solve problems. And I think it really is a differentiating factor for us. Um, you know, going, having gone through the hiring price process myself, but then also, you know, building a team at Billion to One, I can really see the value of, of how intentional we are in that area. Thank you so much, Tom. And Billion to One really is a pretty incredible company from, from everything that I have already seen and, and read about. And it really sounds like it's a, it's a game changer in this space. And so just to kind of go, go back to you and to, to rewind, where did you grow up and what led you to a career in the law? Um, so I'm born and raised in Minnesota. Um, and that's actually where I'm based right now. So I work remotely from Minnesota and our headquarters in the Bay Area and I go out there at least once a month um, to work with the team. Uh, I left Minnesota to go to college in the Bay Area and then I went to uh, law school in Boston, uh, returned back to Minnesota uh, where my wife and I started a family. We did actually live in Switzerland for three and a half years, but again, came back to our home here uh, in Minnesota. Um, so career in, in law, um, you know, I was not someone who, you know, in junior high knew I want to be a lawyer someday. Um, I probably didn't have that much uh, foresight in my career when I was that age. Um, but I was really drawn to the legal profession because I wanted to go to law school. So I had graduated from college. I taught high school for four years. And I always knew uh, graduate school was in the future. And law school seemed the most attractive. I'm really an inherently curious person. I love learning new things. It's really what's driven most of my career decisions. 
Um, so I was going to law school more for the intellectual <laughs> curiosity aspects of it and less because you know I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Law school was a really memorable, positive time in my life. I mean, were you working hard? Were we having to cram and study? Sure, but I also learned uh, a lot and I, I learned a lot about myself. I mean, you can use the law to help solve problems, whether it's a disagreement or negotiating a transaction. And so that's the part that I really, really like about it, the problem solving and the analytical process. Um, and that's what then pushed me into a career, a career of law. Fantastic. And and what how did you end up in the life sciences space? Um, that's probably goes back to my upbringing. So um, just a little bit of my background. I I grew up in a family of, of healthcare professionals. So my dad was a cardiac surgeon. Uh, my mom was a nurse. That's actually how they they met. They met at the hospital um, as colleagues. Um, and, you know, and it, so they've always like developed a curiosity about medicine growing up. Um, they also really instilled a commitment to, to serving, which I think you know, is reflected in, you know, most of us that are in the life science uh, industry are there because we have a commitment to serving uh, patients. But as a kid, medicine was like, we were, it was talked about it at dinner and around the house. And I mean, in fact, I have seven siblings and all of them are in professions that touch medicine or public health or life science industry. So all of us have, have grown into a profession that involves uh, the life sciences. Um, I think also as a like more specific professionally, um, when I was in private practice um, at a law firm, Dorsey and Whitney here in Minneapolis, um, I sort of naturally gravitated to life science clients. There are a fair amount. So in Minnesota, we have branded ourselves the Medical Alley. Um, you have the Mayo Clinic, you have, you know, Medtronic. United Health Group, 3M, other companies, um, life science companies headquartered here. Um, and they produce a lot of sort of spin-off entrepreneurs in the life science space. So there's a, a pretty vibrant um, kind of life science industry here in, in Minnesota. And in private practice, a lot of these startups were my clients. Um, so, you know, when I was a third or fourth year associate, I was fortunate to work with partners who were willing to say, hey, Here's a smaller client and you can be the point of contact with the client and you can, you know, be the relationship person uh, for that client. And I just really liked, you know, the innovative spirit that you saw in these entrepreneurs, the commitment to patient care. I mean, it's it's pretty exciting to be in an industry where you can be helping people and you're also doing kind of really cool, innovative uh, technology. So I would say, you know, it was the upbringing, but then also kind of the natural work that I was doing at a law firm that, that pushed me into the life science industry. That makes sense. Wow. A, a family with seven siblings and uh, pretty much everyone in the healthcare, healthcare space. That's pretty incredible. Uh, after, and after practicing at Dorsey for many years, what led you to go in-house? Um, you know, a couple different factors. I think, you know, what probably drove me was the curiosity, like I mentioned uh, earlier. I mean, at a very high level, and a lot of, I think, lawyers that move in-house say this, I wanted to be closer to uh, the business. I mean, as I mentioned, my practice had really gravitated towards life science companies. Um, a lot of the work that I did as a, as a corporate lawyer was 
M&A work, um, public and private company financing work. So, you know, typically on a deal, we'd help a client. Maybe it was a, let's just say it was a private financing, you know, VC-backed financing. We'd help the client develop the business plan. Uh, we'd put together the offering documents, you know, and we would help them with the materials to pitch to investors. Maybe the they were looking for funding for, uh, you know, the next phase of their clinical study. Um, and then we'd negotiate the investment. So that process probably took, you know, three to four months and we'd close the financing and the company, the client would go back with the investment and they would kind of go and execute on the plan. And I would move on to another deal. And I was always kind of like, okay, so what happened? Like, you know, you, you, you raised $50 million and you said it was for a clinical study or to get regulatory approval for this product. Like, did you guys get it? How did the development work? I had all these additional questions um that i was curious about but you know i didn't in private practice you don't really have the luxury of like the clients aren't going to pay for to teach me around that you know and they're not going to allow me to, to to bill for that so you would you know you'd stay in touch with you in a little bit but i was always really curious like okay so how did that all work out we did a lot of diligence on maybe an acquisition and like you know and the stuff we found like how do you integrate the business into it into the larger company. So again, it was a curiosity of like just wanting to learn more about, about the business. I think, you know, and then maybe more specifically, how did I get, so I, my first in-house position was with Boston Scientific um, at their division here in Minneapolis. Um, and you kind of wonder like, how did I get into that space? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was, uh, I, I kind of said by that point in my career, if I was going to leave the firm, I mean, it, I really enjoyed the practice. I enjoyed the people I worked with. It was going to be, you know, to go to a life science company. At the time, you know, this is around, uh, you know, 2002, 2003, um, corporate associates were in high demand and there was a lot of opportunities to move uh, in-house. And there was, you know, I remember one point somebody called about a, boat company and i was sort of intrigued to go interview there and then i had to admit i was like and this is nothing against people at boat and fishing and i in minnesota with ten thousand lakes i do it myself but i was like I, that's just not going to get me jazzed in the morning to go work at a boat company so i sort of said to the recruiter like if it's a life science company i'd be interested but otherwise i'm perfectly happy here at uh at, at dorsey and um so i was fortunate to find the role at boston scientific uh it's actually so i almost turned down the offer I mean, I was really discerning about, did I really want to leave uh, the law firm? I had, um, you know, been there for five and a half years. I was, you know, about a year away from being considered for partnership. You know, signs or indication were positive and, you know, I can deliberate over decisions pretty well. Um, so I wasn't sure, like, if I wanted to go. And I remember I had a conversation with my wife and I said, you know, I'm really not sure what I want to do. And she was like, well, if you stayed at the firm and made partner a year from now, and then we're offered the same job at Boston Scientific, would you go? And I was like, oh, of course I would. It's a really great opportunity. <laughs> she, and she was like, okay, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was really good advice. Um, and, you know, it was sort of an obvious answer after that. And it was a great decision. I mean, it was, a you know, while I, Really enjoyed my time at Dorsey. Moving on to Boston Scientific was at that point in my career, a perfect decision. 
your wife sounds very wise. <laughs> and you ended up at Boston Scientific for almost a decade. How were you able to gain positions of increasing responsibility while you were there? Um, good question. I hadn't, like, and I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about it. And again, I hadn't sort of thought when I walked in the door strategically, how is that going to happen? Um, I think I would first note, I mean, being at Boston Scientific for 10 years, it gave me a great foundation to sort of further develop my career. I mean, after my time at Boston Scientific, I, you know, there were very few legal issues I hadn't at least touched. Maybe I hadn't led, but I wasn't like patent prosecution, maybe the kind of the one area was like, okay, I really haven't, haven't done uh, that. So it was a great uh, foundational uh, experience. But back to your question, I think, um, you know, increasing positions of responsibility, you know, I, when I think about it, there may be a couple different factors that helped me succeed there. Um, I think first was, I just volunteered for a wide variety of projects and roles. I mean, again, I am a, I'm a curious person. I'm really good at taking on more than I can do. And I was like, you know, hey, I'll do that. Okay, I'll do that. And I remember my my first manager, Jean, who was uh, a tremendous supervisor and, and mentor. You know, she was like, you know, the biggest problem with you or challenge is you're kind of interested in everything. <laughs> and at the time, I hadn't thought about it. But when I reflect on it, I was like, and that's probably why I like being a GC because there is a wide variety. Um, but like, for example, we had a we had a key supplier who had filed for bankruptcy. And they're like, oh, we need somebody to help out figure out bankruptcy law. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll do that, you know? And after that project, I became the, the quote, bankruptcy expert in the legal department. I didn't know much more than my colleagues, but you, you, I, I sort of volunteered for that and I got branded as having a little more experience than everybody else. So I think like that's sort of an element to success is like I was willing to learn a variety of things so that when they came up in the future, I could be a resource to people. Um, I also tried um, a couple of different roles at Boston Scientific. So in the 10 years I was there, I started out in the cardiovascular division. Then when we acquired guidance, I moved over to that division in St. Paul. Um, and then my last role was a, a corporate role supporting business development. So again, kind of in that theme of getting a, a wide variety of experiences. Um, I think secondly, um, and it may seem obvious, I think you people talk about this quite a bit when they think about in-house legal positions is, but providing value to the business. Um, so I, you know, maybe not always consciously, but I was working towards or was providing value to the business. And I think, you know, sometimes people think about, oh, I'm going to come in-house and I'm going to provide value to the business by like, I'm going to bring strategic and impactful advice on this complex legal problem that the business is going to have. And, you know, and, and I found that the value I could provide and maybe to this day still continue to provide is in much more smaller incremental ways, like getting a contract done for somebody who's in a, a pinch because I need this vendor to get signed up or consultant signed up in the next day. That's adding value. Um, somebody comes and says, Hey, I, 
I don't, I have a question about a marketing material and how the FDA is going to view it. And it may seem really small, or I have a question about whether I have to put this trademark on this marketing piece or not. Again, really small incremental ways, but you're adding value to that individual at that time. And that, that just, that helps you and your reputation and the, the organization. And people are always very grateful when you help them solve a problem, regardless of the size, because that's, that's the problem that they have that day. So I think trying to figure out ways where you can add value and pitch in, and they may not always be kind of the, as impactful as you, as you envisioned. Um, I think a third area was uh, I had really good mentors, outstanding colleagues. I mean, people invested, and again, not formally, but people invested in my development by you know helping me answering questions you know some of these were part of more formal professional development programs that you see at a lot of larger organizations but many many more were informal um so i'd recommend to people when you when you move in house first find some people especially in the business that will give you some free advice and again it doesn't have to be you know, the VP of marketing or some higher up executive in the company. When I think about the people that helped me at Boston Scientific, one was an individual, uh, Karen, who was, you know, a director of sourcing when we first met. Now she, you know, advanced up into the company because she was a very capable individual, but, you know, I had a, a champion or a mentor informally with her just because we worked together and I, again, added value to what she was, uh, she was, um, what she needed. Um, so those are kind of, I would say, trying to think back to your question, oh, how did I gain positions of responsibility? Um, and I think I don't, I mean, one way for me and people have different ways they approach it. I don't think I ever went into those things that I just described thinking, oh, this is going to get me a promotion, mm -hmm. right? It was more, this is going to help the business along. And if you help the business along with their objectives, then you're going to get a promotion, right? It's almost like focus on the substance of your work and, and the other pieces will, will, will come in. That's such fantastic advice, Tom. It sounds like your, your natural curiosity and your willingness to help, uh, in addition to that great piece about finding good mentors, especially, you know, not just within legal, but, but others in the business who can who can be a champion for you those really uh all went a, a long way was looking back what were some of the challenges that you faced as a young in-house attorney hmm. <clears throat> challenges you know i i mean first of all i think i my experience seems so positive so i'm like oh, i can't think of challenges but i think you know, one, I think one was, and this is, again, when you first move in house is you like sort of finding your voice in the organization. Um, if I think about it, and I, I didn't think about it when I was at the law firm, but I remember talking to somebody about it after at the law firm after I moved in house. You know, when you're an attorney at a law firm, you know, right or wrong, you're a revenue generator, right? So, right. so you you get the resources you need and people are coming to you because they specifically need something whether you're working on a deal whether you're drafting a contract forum you know whether you're preparing their sec filing they're 
they're coming to you for something. And it's a bit humbling when you go in house because, you know, a lot of my roles would be, I would go to the cross-functional meeting for the vascular access franchise, right? So you'd go to these cross-functional business meetings and there really weren't any specific legal issues that came up, right? Like it wasn't, I wasn't on the agenda to say, Tom is going to talk about legal issues now. So mm -hmm. you, you know, there were times you sort of wonder like, okay, what am I doing here? Like, what is my role here? And I think that was the biggest adjustment for me is just sort of figuring out, am I just here taking up space? Um, and I think, and I don't know, it's not like a switch all of a sudden flipped and something changed, but I mean, my advice would be, you just keep going to those meetings and eventually your voice is gonna be, there may be some legal issues that come up definitely. And there may be specific legal projects that you have to do. But when you're supporting the business um, in-house, your voice is really contributing to the to the business discussion. There's objectives that the business is trying to achieve, and you provide a you know a sort of a special expertise, right? There's somebody there from finance, and there's somebody there from regulatory, and there's someone there from marketing, and you're providing a, a unique expertise to that meeting. But it's all around the discussion of a business issue and less about a legal issue. So. That was the part that took some, it's a good question because I hadn't thought about this in a while, but it, that's really, when I think about my first you know, year or two, that was, that was, I times would go to meetings and I'd be like, okay, why am I here, right? And, and trying to figure out and find your, your purpose or your voice. That's a, that's a great point, especially coming, as you mentioned, coming out of private practice uh, as a revenue generator and going in house where, uh, you you're you're not and uh, and you have to you are there to support support the business and to and to help the business grow and so you um moved on to Novartis and also had many senior level roles there and then at or what point did you know that you wanted to be a GC or or felt that you were GC ready <laughs> that's a that's a good question. I think I would answer it most honestly and say, oh, maybe six months after joining Rexogen as the GC, I, <laughs> I wanted to be a GC. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, really, I was, um, so as you said, I had been at Boston Scientific and then um, the time at Novartis, most of which was in uh, Switzerland. So I, I think just from personal experience, it was fantastic. I think from a professional development standpoint, if if someone is working in a large organization and has that opportunity, I think, to 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 work in a different culture or cross-culturally is, is important for, for development. But anyway, back to your question. Um I was attracted to the GC role at this company called the Repsogen, was a biotech company in, in San Diego, really because of the size of the organization. I mean, when I first learned about the opportunity and learned that they were interested, I have to admit I was a little shocked. Like, you're interested in me, but I I'm not GC material. Um, and, but when I thought back to the time in private practice at Dorsey, like these are the type of companies that were my clients. And there was, I didn't mention it earlier, there was a point at Dorsey where there was a client that <clears throat> was thinking of going public and we started preparations for an IPO. And if they had gone public, I, I think I probably would have become their general counsel, which is something that um, the CEO and I had talked about. And then they ended up 
not doing that and getting sold. So they went down a different uh, path. But I remember thinking when I was learning about the role at Erection, I was like, oh, this is this is like the companies, the clients I worked with at Dorsey. I would love to work in that sort of size environment and you know that type of entrepreneurial environment. And again, it's proved to be very, very positive. Was there anything about once you once you became is sat in the general counsel seat? Was there anything about the role that surprised you? Um, biggest surprise of being a GC was um, really how much of the role is not legal work. Um, and I don't mean to say like I don't do legal work as a GC, but you know, as a DC, you're you're a leader in the organization, however large or small it is. You may have a team, you may not have a team that reports to you, um, but you're a business leader first. And like I said a couple minutes ago, you're a business leader with an expertise in one function. And you know, well, I had learned this as a kind of being in house. You sort of learn this, but I had to continually remind myself that I wasn't there just to give legal advice. I was also there to help achieve, achieve the business um, objectives. So I think <clears throat> at Erection, I was really pretty fortunate to have two leaders that I worked with that were really strong mentors. I mean, the CEO, Mike, you know, he, he just believed in me and he believed that I could <clears throat> do the job, which was um, a great motivator for me. <clears throat> and he really taught me how to think innovatively. I mean, I hadn't before been, been a, I don't really much of an innovative thinker. Um, and then the other person, <clears throat> excuse me, Tom was our chief operating officer. And I would say he really taught me how to lead a team and and achieve objectives. Like he was, he was great as we, as I was building out the legal team there, sort of working with me to figure out how we, how do we get the team to all kind of row in the same uh, direction. I think the other thing that was a surprise as a GC was um, kind of your your work is identifying resources and the best way to allocate those resources. So a key decision you have as a general counsel is what things are you going to do in-house and what things are you going to do externally? And obviously, depending about the size of your team, that could impact that. Um, but you get to ask yourself questions about, you know, should we use external counsel? Should we hire an internal resource? Is this something we have an internal resource that could learn this? And and that sort of team management or functional management was something that I should have known as coming in as a GC. But to answer your question, it was a it wasn't something about I thought that it was going to to have to do. And I think a kind of a carry on to that is. Um, I would say team leadership, professional development. You know, you're 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 not just giving legal advice. You're also managing uh, a team and and making sure that the business is getting the support that they uh, need. And I would think that's been one of the more rewarding aspects um, of my career is, you know, helping to develop people to achieve the professional goals that they they want. I mean, one. Kind of quick story is when I joined Erexigen, one of our key initiatives was to building a legal team. So we had some people to part and we had some other needs. And so I really was you know, almost building a legal team um, from, from scratch. Um, and I had some great resources that helped with that. Um, 
but um, trying to find people that have the same DNA and the same attitude and again are kind of you're gonna your commitment to work collaboratively is um, was I just didn't anticipate coming into the role that I was gonna have to do that. And we had a great team. Um, I mean, it was, I loved when people in the business would say, I've never worked with a legal and compliance team that's so collaborative, so helpful. I mean, that was really, it was, that was good to hear. Um, but, you know, in professional development, even more specifically, so we had two individuals that, uh, attorneys that joined the team around that time, Chris and John, and they, you know, both during the interview process said, look, I have a career goal to be a general counsel. Um, and, you know, it's a little at times intimidating. You're like, wait, you want my job, right? But, mm -hmm. but you, you, and you can take that attitude and I think you'll end up, it won't be successful. Um, but, you know, you take the attitude of like, okay, well, let's figure that out. We have some work to do and we have to support the business, but let's always be conscious of how we can give opportunities to you to be able to develop and grow. So like by way of example, we, um, the patent attorney we had in-house left. And so one of these individuals, we had to do some, you know, patent prosecution work. I was like, why don't you take over supervising that? He wasn't a patent attorney, but he was able to learn how to help manage the patent portfolio with our outside uh, counsel. And I like telling that story because sort of the, the, the good end of that story is both of these two individuals now are themselves GCs at life science companies today. So kind of the goal that they set seven or eight years ago has been achieved, which is just really, really thrilling for me. That's incredible. And it goes to show what a great leader you are. The, to be able to groom other GCs is, uh, is, is definitely a very telling factor of, of the type of leader and, and manager that you are. Yeah. And, yeah, well, and, I, I think like, sorry, just as a, a final footnote, I mean, what I'm looking forward to is um, doing the same at Billion to One. So we um, are fourth team member on the legal and compliance team that's starting at Billion to One on Monday. Um, and so we'll now have two attorneys, Taylor and Jesse, and we have an operations manager who helps support our compliance program, Lena. And I mean, my goal is to is to replicate the same and, and hopefully that they have the same professional experience set. We did the Rexogen. Congratulations on the new additions to your team. I'm sure they're great hires because Billion to One has a highly selective hiring process. And and not everyone has had the opportunity to be a chief compliance officer. Can you just talk a little bit about your experience there as well? Um, sure. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I think, you know, people in the in the legal profession are kind of aware of that, you know, there's oftentimes a choice where you're making a different path. Am I gonna be in the legal profession or am I gonna be um, in compliance? And, um, you know, so I worked for two years and my role was focused at a larger company of, you know, heading up the compliance program for their healthcare division. And it's um, it was a great experience because it was really taking, like prior to that as a general, Take up at Boston Scientific, we didn't really have a separate compliance program. So people in the legal function, it was, you know, before we were sort of making that professional uh, distinction. And then at Orexogen, John kind of, you know, oversaw the compliance program. So I was learning from him, but I wasn't really implementing. So it was um, really enjoyable to have an experience to implement a compliance program, especially at a larger global uh, company and it's um 
it's good work. It's a lot of uh, hard work. And I think, you know, we're, we're at the process of billion to one of, of building that out uh, right now. One of our goals is to, you know, our legal department goals is to have, you know, our compliance infrastructure complete uh, by the end of the year. And so we've developed a code of conduct and policies and we're working through that. Um, but having that experience um, previously to kind of focus on a compliance program was really, really helpful for me to get kind of more in the weeds in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And and you've been an executive at, at organizations of all sizes. Billion to One is the smallest thus far. In what ways has being a GC at Billion to One been different from your previous roles? Um, I think a uh, couple factors. I would say one factor is, you know, without an internal legal team, I think Billion Tuang was doing a really good job on the legal front. Um, <laughs> you know, so we have members of the senior management team in our Kuna CEO are really knowledgeable about uh, the law. They had, um, um, they had, uh, you know, good external counsel before. So it's actually the first time where I've come in and the role is new. So in previous companies I joined, including Arexogen, there was somebody in the GC role uh, before me. So it's, you're, you know, it's different secondly, because you're sort of establishing what, what is the role of the general counsel. And now that we have our team is growing kind of what is the role of the, uh, the legal department. So it's been, um, it's been great because people in the organization like they they come with some legal background already because you know somebody that was you know uh, director in quality she was handling the privacy program before right so she would come and she has a lot of uh, knowledge you know already as it's being sort of responsibility is being transitioned to me. And what are some, if any, uh, of the challenges that you have faced at Billion to One that are new to you? Um, well, now that you say new to me, I was gonna say there's a lot of work, but there's a, <laughs> um, that's always been uh, the case. Probably two areas. One is the technology and then the other is uh, the industry that we're in. So, you know, the technology piece, I'm not a science. I was a history major undergrad and I can claim that I'm very curious, but there's just certain fundamentals of genetics I don't, I don't know. And, um, and so I've had ample homework um, on the weekends since I joined to try to get get up to speed. And now I think I can at least have a conversation with some of the members of our R&D team, even if I don't understand uh, a portion of it. So the, the technology is, is one. Um, and then more specific to the legal and compliance role is the lab service industry. So I've worked in life sciences, both pharma and device, worked in larger and smaller companies, um, but I have not worked at a lab company before. And what makes that different, not just kind of what we're doing, but we also are a provider of healthcare services, which means we bill insurance companies and we bill um, uh, Medicaid and Medicare. So this is an area that I'm not as familiar with. And uh, there's additional regulations that I have to learn. So it was it was different and a challenge because it was a bit humbling, right? You know, I mean, I, I couldn't say with confidence, oh yes, I've worked in this area before and this is what I've seen before. Um, so, you know, again, spent a lot of time kind of teaching myself, um, a lot of time with some really tremendous external uh, lawyers to 
to sort of help educate me and, and candidly business team members a billion to one who, as I mentioned earlier, you know, are pretty knowledgeable about the rules as well. It's in incredible how there's always more to learn, especially in the life sciences space. And it's a good thing that you have your natural curiosity to, to propel you forward. Uh, at, given the uncertain macroeconomics, what factors helped you determine that billion to one was the right move for you? Um, I, I think earlier on you did mention that the the culture was really important to you, uh, and obviously just kind of um, being part of a mission driven company. Um, but as you were uh, as you were assessing the, the company generally, were there any other factors that helped you decide that BTO was was the right right place for you? Um, yeah, definitely. There's probably, I would say, some initial hooks. Um, one was the technology. So despite what I said that I didn't really fully understand it, it's it's really quite innovative. Um, and the intellectual curiosity to me just it really, it's it's just very attractive. So I know when I first learned about the company, I was like, oh, this is really like we're doing some really interesting, cool stuff. Um, the other piece is um working at a company that uh, is not public, um, but venture capital backed, you know, with um, a plan to go public. So my other DC roles, I, um, again, at the two um, smaller companies, we were publicly traded companies and I was, you know, working as the secretary of the organization on the public company work. We're not there yet. Um, and while I did this in private practice, I really want to be part of an organization that, that goes through the IPO uh, process. So looking forward to to contributing uh, with that. I think that those are sort of the hooks. I would say that kind of once I was in the process, it comes back to what we talked about earlier, the people and the culture. I mean, I can recall in the interview process, uh, you know, which is very uh, planful and intentional and thorough. Um, but, and I mentioned that because it's actually, I believe, what helps us to drive such a strong culture. But back to the interview process, I mean, I would I would meet with somebody and the interviews were kind of, you know, sort of because of Zoom scattered around maybe a two week period. And I would be like, oh my God, I would love to work with that person. That person was so good to talk with. They had so much information. They were so interesting. So I kind of walked away from each interview um, that much more enthusiastic about it as I met another person in the organization. So, you know, ultimately what kind of pushed my interest to the end was was the people and, and the individuals that I met. Great. And it usually is given, especially at this level, how how much time you need to be spending with those people. You have been an adjunct professor for years. Tell us about how you got your start. Oh, um, Yes, so I've had the opportunity to be um, an adjunct professor at two of the local law schools, uh, one instance teaching M&A. Um, you know, over the last seven years, I have been teaching at uh, University of St. Thomas Law School um, as an adjunct professor, uh, teaching negotiations and then preparing students for an ABA competition in negotiations. Um, you know, how did I get the start? I learned about it through word of mouth, actually, through someone in the Minnesota Bar Association. Um, there was somebody that was in the role and they were moving out of town and they, you know, were looking for someone to to replace them. It, 
it's, I mean, it's, it's one of the most rewarding parts of my, of my day. I mean, the, it's a perfect mix for me of teaching, uh, but also competing. The students are, I mean, a lot of students are incredibly diligent. They're, you know, often, they're, the students are often, they are very intelligent um, and they are just eager to learn, right? So it's a pleasure working with people or students that are that uh, motivated. I'm also a competitive person. And, you know, so the, the, the program is a negotiations uh, class or course, but then we also participate in the ABA's negotiation competition. It's a little bit like moot court or mock trial. There's other, this is just another competition that they have. Um, so that kind of intensity, but also camaraderie you develop with the competition is really, is really fun. Um, and the program is really, kind of taken off in the last seven years. I mean, we have been qualified after the, so you go to a regional tournament and then if you are one of the two teams from there that qualifies to nationals, you get to go to the national uh, competition or the team has gone to the national competition now for the last uh, five years. So it's um, wow. it's great to see the success in the program, which again is is 100% of the students. You know, I'm sort of just there as an advisor and, and trying to guide them and uh, we actually, we started last week, Our the new semester has started, so we're already preparing for our competition, which will be in November. Wow, that sounds extremely rewarding and very, very exciting. So between your GC role at Billion to One <laughs> and, um, and your role as an adjunct professor, what do you do to decompress? Do you have any free time? <laughs> Um, I think, you know, it's hard to find the time, um, but it's important to find the time. I think there's a couple different areas. I mean, for, for me personally, I, I enjoy, uh, jogging as a perform form of exercise. I used to call it running, but now at my age, I think it's jogging and <laughs> I like being outside. Um, you know, in Minnesota, we get various, you know, types of temperatures throughout the four seasons. Um, but just being outdoors, whether it's, you know, hiking or even just walking the dogs or biking, just being outside is, 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 um, you know, a good deeper decompressor for me. Um, you know, I, I, in addition to law school, I still try to stay active and contribute. Um, I'm actually on the board of a nonprofit school. And then I've just joined the board of a small device company here in, in town to, to start giving back in those, um, areas. Um, the, uh, but probably after that, I mean, it's to fully decompress. It's it's spending time with my family. Uh, my wife and I, we have four kids, um, ages 16 to 24, um, you know, and the older ones go to school in various parts of the country right now. Um, but they're, they're great individuals and, you know, really spending time with them, hanging out, talking, doing whatever is really, is a real, uh, a real joy. And I guess I would say after that, I am often trying to learn something new, whether that's listening to a podcast or <laughs> enjoying a book or something like that. So um, I don't know if it's decompressing, but it is, I guess, distractions are a way for me to get re-energized for, for my day-to-day -day job. Well, it sounds like, in some ways, it sounds like you you enjoy what you do so much right now that as an attorney, as a professor, that it probably doesn't feel 
uh, like work uh, or, or it may not feel like you're working as much as you are. So uh, these, these additional uh, ways of giving back to the community and spending time with family are just cherry on top. Well, thank you so much for the chat, Tom. It's been really great learning even more about you. You know, we've spoken, uh, we've known each other a while, but it, I, I feel like every time we talk, I always learn just more about you and, and your journey. So I really appreciate the time. Well, you're more than welcome. I really appreciated the discussion as well. And, and thanks so much for the opportunity to to talk about this. It's been it's been great because it helps me think about and reflect on, you know, some of the, you know, parts of my career that I hadn't thought about recently. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to GC's in the House. I hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me next time for an in-depth discussion with another general counsel. I welcome your feedback and recommendations for guests. You can reach me at LGUO at mlaglobal.com. Please also reach out if you have any questions or comments about today's episode. Until next time.